Starting today, we will study our summer series. At Forest, we have a three regular Sunday sermon series a year. Spring, we study Gospels, summer, Old Testament, and the fall, one of the episodes in New Testament. Since the beginning of our church in 2015, we've been, we have studied the book of Exodus, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and 1st Samuel, 1st, 2nd Samuel, through the key biblical characters. For the 2023 summer, we will examine life of a King Solomon in 1st King chapter 1 to 11. And I characterize the life of Solomon as a sophomore king. Sophomore king. How many of you sophomore? Okay. Don't raise your hand. Okay, that's all right. Why sophomore king? Like a sophomore, Solomon was the second king in dynasty of David. Like a sophomore, he was a wise fool. You know, the word sophomore came from compound Greek word, Sophia, wisdom, and moros, from which we have an English word, moron, you know, the fool. He was wise fool. You know, sophomores are generally wiser than freshmen, but they are still immature. That's why we call them a sophomore. Now, if a David was the first faithful king of Israel, Solomon was second and wise, yet foolish at the end. For caveat, there are not many sermons or books about Solomon. Many preachers, they just preach here and there about Solomon. There's not a full series on Solomon. So one biblical writer rightly, rightly observed that Solomon was avoided rather than overlooked. So it is rare opportunity for me and you to study Life of Solomon 10 weeks. So that's what I'm embarking on. Now, why is Solomon is avoided? Because Solomon was uniquely baffling. Solomon was uniquely baffling. You know, he received God's wisdom and uh, used it to build Israel to be the most powerful Iron Age kingdom in the ancient Middle East. Yet his strategy for achieving this led to the kingdom's rapid decline after his death, both spiritually and geopolitically. Actually, first king starts with Solomon and then ends with a king named Ahab, which was, who was the worst king in Israel. And Solomon also create, you know, uh, uh, built a glorious temple for God, but soon that temple mixed up with a pagan worship. At the end, God has to condemn and destroy through the hands of Babylon. And Solomon, he had uh, seven wives and 300 concubines, yet Bible tells us only one son and two daughters by name. So Solomon was a complex character who backs many questions, back for many questions and faith in life. And I think there is a sim similarity between us and Solomon. I think we are kind of Solomon because we are wiser in terms of science and technology. But in terms of our inner stability and mental health, we are foolisher than before. You know, we have more material Abundance than ever, yet our spiritual poverty and our own ignorance and darkness is deeper than ever. So it is my prayer that through the study of this sophomore king, we learn true wisdom of faith 
which is to depend on God. True wisdom of faith is depends on God. So today we will study the first chapter of the first king. And here we see three kings. David, Adonijah, and Solomon. And they represent frail king, fake king, and fresh king. And each one of them teaches us an important truth and principle about leadership and character in God's kingdom and our life. And I want to tell I want to I want everyone to know this that everybody is a leader. You are all leader. Whether you are CEO or middle manager, junior manager, factory worker, janitor or a single parent, everyone is a leader. Why? Leadership means influence. Anybody who influences others is a leader. The one who sets an example is a leader. One who walks the talk is a leader. So if the, we are all followers and leaders at the same time. So the question is not if I'm a leader, but the question is if I'm a good leader or bad leader. Am I influencing people right way or wrong way? Today's passage teaches us the right way of influencing others. So first, let's look at the frail king, David. If you look at the verse 1, when King David was very old, he could not keep warm even when they put covers over him. So how old was David at this moment? According to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4, David was 30 years old when he became a king, and then he reigned 40 years. So David lived altogether how many years? How many years? Seventy years. Okay, I'm checking whether you're listening or falling asleep. Okay. okay. So David is about 70 years you know, at this chapter right now. So his attendant said to him, let us look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our Lord, the king, may keep warm. Then they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful young woman found at Abishak, a Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The woman was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him, but the king had no sexual relationship with her. You know, even the great king David couldn't beat the effects of old age. Here we see both a frail king and futility of his servants to help him out. When David's servant found out their king was shivering in cold, they decided to find him kind of a human blanket. It was a recognized medical treatment in the ancient world, actually mentioned by the well-known Greek doctor, Galen. And Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, when he described this story in his book, Antiquities of Jews, he actually called the attendant in verse 2, physicians. This is a royal physicians. So they found the best candidate, a young virgin named Abishak from Shunem, north of, Israel, north of Israel, near Jezreel Valley. And they are actually hoping that she could not only warm David's old king's body, but also sort of make him excited. Because as you know, they be like a woman, right? You know that, right? They be like a woman. But unfortunately, 
king had no sexual relationship with her. And one biblical commentator called the outcome the pathetic failure of humanity to beat aging. Definitely, David we see here is a frail and fading away. Now, what are we supposed to learn from this David, the old king? Very important lesson we should learn today. That is, David still had a very critical task to accomplish. And then he, that which he neglected so far, that was finding a successor to his throne and making a peaceful transition of a power for Israel. I want to really us to pay attention about the peaceful transition of a power because that is a pride and bloodline of our American democratic tradition. You know the many countries that Jane prayed for and we are praying? Venezuela, Syria, China, Iran, you name it. All these countries, one thing common, they don't have a peaceful transition of a power. When North Korean refugees came to South Korea, the things they are surprised that you can change the you know, leader of a nation every four, five years. America, we started that. So don't ever take the January 6th riot you know, for some kind of just you know, nuisance. We should never repeat something like that in our country. Amen? Amen? This is an amen. This is a God's blessing that we should cherish. People in Venezuela, where I'm from, that dying to have a fair presidential election next year. The frail King Davis, in action, to this indispensable last right of a king, created a power vacuum. And today's success story came out of this power vacuum. It almost created, actually, today we're going to learn the second family feud and coup in David's own household and his dynasty. So, in one word, David neglected this important task as a king more than his own body. Do you follow? Power vacuum creates a crisis. Inaction of a king toward a power transition endangers everyone as we see next story. And then, now, I want this to apply to us. How about us? First of all, are there any critical tasks that we are neglecting this summer or now? Now, let me ask you, are you neglecting anything that you're supposed to pay attention to? Turn to a person next to you. Let's all ask questions. Are you neglecting any critical task? One, two, three. Are you neglecting any critical task? Yeah, yeah, make eye contact. Are you neglecting any task, any critical task? You know, Christian life and ministry is not done until we find our own successors to inherit and continue Christ's gospel you know, mission. The focal point of my personal and pastoral ministry is a discipleship. Means that a finding and training so-called the faithful, available, teachable people to continue to build up biblical church through the house church ministry. You know, that is my last call as a pastor and a father. It's all about, you know, transition. Right now, I have a, a seminary classmate who happened to be actually older than I. 
He's actually 20 years older than I. And he's been calling me last two, 20 years. Uh, last two years, last two years. And the interesting thing about him is that his name is Abraham. Abraham Lee. He served the church faithfully in Southern California and retired in the Phoenix, Arizona. And he was attending a church, and all of a sudden, pastor left. And they have a pulpit supply, and then so he's just a retired pastor, so he preached, and then they liked it so much, they asked him to be a pastor. So he's a back to the ministry. He's an 80 years old guy. So he said, This is not what I signed for. So he was calling me, initially checking if I'm interested in his job. And he was kind of bragging, We have a nice building, you know, our members are good, and he knows I like a bilingual. So we have an English ministry too. And then the final, you know, draw. We are located in Tempe, Arizona. Across our church, there is Arizona State University, and he knows how I feel about college students. Yes. Anytime there is a ministry position for college students, you might not see me if they offer a job. Okay. But point is, I know this pastor's heart because his, his ministry is not done until he finds a good succeeding pastor for this good church. I know another church member, old friend, old friend who is probably envy of all suburban parents because he sent his oldest daughter to Duke University and who is now a doctor, MD, has two younger sons to Stanford University. But guess what? He's telling all the young parents now, top university or any university is overrated. The most important thing about parenting is to cultivate the faith and their relationship with Christ. And I'll say, hey, look at you. Where were you, you know, about 10 years ago? You know, he cut all the whatever to send their kids to, you know, uh, Stanford University. I'm sorry. Point is, we all know succession of a faith means so much. If you know Jesus Christ and his love, you want people that you know, your own family and your own church brothers and sisters to really embrace this love and gospel and take it to the end. You know, our God in the Bible called himself God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does it mean? There was a transition of a faith. That's what I'm claiming these days. Lord, don't just stop as a God of Paul Kim, but God of Mariel and Laurel and Bethel and Sam and then Brian, talking about my children and their husband. And hopefully their children. That is my prayer. How about you? How about you? Now, let me go to the, let me introduce you, second king, the fake king, the Adonijah. Guess who stepped in the power vacuum created by inaction of the the frail King David. Look at the verse 5. Now Adonijah, whose mother was a Haggis, put himself forward. In the uh, Hebrew text, put himself forward is literally lifted himself up. That's why ESB translated, he exalted himself. And Adonijah said, I'll be king, I'll be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. Who is Adonijah? He is a number four king of David. First son was Amnon, and those of you know the story, he raped his half-sister Tamar, and for that he was killed by the third son, Absalom. Second son of David was Chiliah, but 
he just, uh, you know, he never appears in the Bible other than his birth. So scholars assume that he died young. And we know what happened to Absalom after his rebellion, right? So Adonijah was a number four son and the surviving oldest son of a King David. And then I'm going to, as, we, as I read the next, you know, next five verses, I want you to pay attention because this describes classic recipe for disaster. I want you to examine your life you know, in this passage. So verse 6. His father, Adonijah's father, David, had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome, was born next after Absalom. Adonijah conferred with the Joab son of Zeruiah and Abiathar the priest, and they gave him their support. But Zadok the priest and Benaiah son of Jehodiah, Nathan the prophet, Shemai and Ray, and David's special guard did not join Adonijah. Adonijah then sacrificed the sheep and cattle and fattened calves at the stone of Joheles near Enrogel. He invited all his brothers, the king's sons, all the royal officials of Judah, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaniah or the special guard or his brother Solomon. You know, some of you, once again, don't know the whole story of David and God's promise to David uh, probably wonder what's wrong about Adonijah becoming the you know, new king. Didn't Israel also practice so-called the principle of uh, primogeniture? Primogeniture is the oldest son become a king. You know, that's what's all assumed about Jonathan being a king rather than David, his son-in-law, to be a king. Now, so people say, what's wrong about this Adonijah's move to the throne? When God promised David that he will establish David's house forever, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, God said, from one of our offsprings that I will bring out of your flesh. That means the future king was not born yet. And by, when that promise was given, Adonijah was already born. So he is not the one. You know, actually, as you dig in, you will see Adonijah also knew about the promise and implication. By the way, today, he never inquired about his uh, possibility of his heir, his uh, you know, royal heirship to his from his father. He clandestinely, secretly plotted his scheme. So let me quickly share here five acupoints about the recipe for disaster. Recipe for disaster. First one is ambition. He said, I'll be king. I'll be king. We have to be careful here. Bible is not against the ambition. Yeah, ambition is not a sin. You know? And scripture actually tells us how to have a healthy ambition. You know, Apostle Paul said that if anyone wants to boast, boast in Christ. Paul didn't say, don't boast at all. That's, all. That's not good. That's not good. That's not what he said. Desire to boast is a God-given desire. We are all created in God's image. That means we want something glorious because that's what God made us. You know, drive or ambition is a God-given instinct. But there are false ambition and then there's a good ambition. 
false and unhealthy ambition gratify oneself. Whereas a godly ambition, or we call it vision, it always aims at God's glory and brings the good of all people. Adonijah doing today's, you know, everything today for himself. That's ambition. Wrong ambition. Unhealthy ambition. Number two, absence of uh, admonition. Scripture says his father David never rebuked him. You know, David was a mighty warrior, but he's a miserable father. You know, perhaps because of his own moral failure, we are not sure, but he never rebuked his children. So when Amnon, his oldest son, you know, raped his half-brother, his daughter, Tamar, David didn't rebuke. So what happened? So uh, 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 Absalom took that into the, his own hand, and the whole kingdom went through the painful civil war. Do you have a people in your life that are willing to admonish you? You know, they care about you so much that they will confront you with the truth in love? Seriously. What is a house church? You know, we love one another, but love includes, you know, I love my children, but my children can testify how much nagging I am, how much nagger I am. I nag. Try not. You know, love makes me nagger. You know? Third, attractive appearance. Oh, he said, Bible says, he was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. You know, why does he associate him with Absalom? Because Absalom was very handsome. Once Israel's the sexiest man alive, the original you know, model of Vidal Sassoon with his long hair, you know, Adonijah was a handsome, like his brother Absalom. But he has, even though he was a good looking, but there's not much to look inside. He was a handsome but hollow inside, without any character substance. So being looking good is okay. But what do you have inside? And today, he's just imitating Absalom. Just like Absalom, he created an entourage of 50 people with a royal chariot and showing off. Typical move of a you know, spo- you know, uh, rich, spoiled bread. And number three, instead of admonitions, he had accomplices. Verse 7, Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and Abiathar the priest, and they gave him their support. Joab was a David's nephew and also a powerful military commander. And Joab was fiercely loyal to David and the kingdom. But very often, he crossed many boundaries. And toward the end of David's life, David lost his trust and confidence in him because Joab, after all, was going for his own self-interest rather than the, the, the kingdom interest. So do you know someone like a Joab in your life that you're working together, but actually you're drifting away? That's a Joab. We're going to talk about Joab next week again. Abiathar Priest was surprised to me and many biblical scholars because he, along with Zadok the Priest, they supported the king during the, the rebellion and Absalom. They're the one who brought the, the Ark of the Covenant from Jerusalem. And uh, they supported the king. But today... He joined 
the rebel. Why? Scholars think that his envy, his jealousy toward that of the priest. He wants to be the sole priest of a nation. And actually, later in chapter 2, verse 27 said this, So Solomon removed Abiathar from the priesthood of the Lord, fulfilling the prophecy the Lord has spoken in Silo about the house of Eli. So uh, this information supplies a missing, I mean, missing fact that is uh, Abiathar was son of uh, Abi, uh, Ahimelech, who is a grandson of Ahitut, who is a son of Phineas and son of Eli. Do you guys know who Eli is? He is sort of a mentor or teacher of a, you know, Prophet Samuel. And he was really not good, you know, a, a priest. So all this kind of came across. Now, all these accomplices, they conspired with Adonijah, not because they respected him, but because what? They want to get something through him. This is an accomplice. This is a company of a selfish people. Now, the final acupoint of our recipe is alienating. Alien, alienating. Alienating. You know, the last verse, verse 10 said, the, the Adonijah did not invite Nathan the prophet and Benaniah or a special guard or his brother Solomon. You know, one biblical commentator is that the fact that Solomon was not invited by Adonijah as a, as a last person, that is explosive, actually explosive. Because all his brothers were invited, but Solomon was not. What's that tell you? What is the intent to Solomon? He wants to get rid of him. And here we can see Adonijah, he divides a community of God, his own family. And whoever is a divisive is a demonic. You know, Satan loves to create a faction in the church. He loves to create the cliques in the house church. Applying this to ourselves. You know, as a human being, we are all close to somebody than other people. That's a natural, you know. But I want to tell you, don't let your natural affinity ever ruin your community. Don't let your natural affinity ruin your community. Don't let it become a clique. After house church, the people that you just like, you just hang around. And people, you know, you, that, that, you, know, you don't like or you don't care, just, you know. That is a evil. Flat out is a evil. That's what Satan loves. That, all right, I see a crack in this house church. I'm going to rub it. Now, location of Adonijah's you know, plot was a place called the Stone of Zoheles near Enrogel. And this is not far from Jerusalem. It's very nearby Jerusalem. And this you know, Stone of Zoheles, Zoheles actually means a serpent. And according to Jewish tradition, this was a site of a Philistine's worship of a serpent god. So it's a kind of an occult site. You know, occult? You know, those kind, you know, occult, devious cult, occult site. And so he was doing something evil in a very suspicious and secretive and even in a pagan way. 
That's what the uh, uh, writer tried to describe. And here, one thing we can tell is that Adonijah was a very opposite, opposite of a, what his father David has been when he was becoming king. Do you remember our second sermon series on David, King in the Wilderness? How faithful David was. David would not take the life of a king Saul who tried to kill him. Twice. Why? He trusted sovereignty of God. It was a God who made him a king, and he patiently and humbly waited for it. Not Adonijah. He was just going after it. He's like a blood hound. Smell the blood, he's latching his teeth on it. So once again, consider the portrait of Adonijah that we have seen. His high opinion of himself, aspiration to be important, his love of displaying his own importance, gathering of like-minded people around him, and avoidance of those who did not share his view of himself. That is a recipe for disaster. Now, how did God prevent this devious, malicious coup from proceeding in his murderous plan? Look at the verse 11. Nathan, then Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, have you not heard Adonijah, son of Haggai, has become a king and our Lord David knows nothing about it? And now then, let me advise you how you can save your own life and life of your son Solomon. Go into the king David and say to him, my Lord king, did you not swear to me, your servant, surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me and he will sit on my throne? Then why then has Adonijah become a king? While you are still talking to the king, I will come in and add my word to what you have said. Now, this is the third time we saw Nathan the prophet in the Bible or a story of David. First time when David consulted with Nathan about his desire to build God's temple. And second time was Nathan confronted David for his sin of adultery. You remember that, right? You're the man, right? Wonderful thing about Saul, you know, David is that even though David definitely you know, was very uncomfortable with Nathan, but David respected his authority. He kept admonisher in his life and granted him access to him anytime. Okay? And now the third time is today. Here, Nathan told Bathsheba, alerted Bathsheba, and she in turn informed the king David, and I'm not going to read it, verse 15 to 21, you read it. She basically went to the king David and, you know, asked everything. And the verse 22, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived and they reinforced everything the Bathsheba said. So finally, King David Pay attention to succession. Look at the verse 32. King David said, Call in Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, Benaniah son of Jehodiah. When they came before the king, he said to them, Take your Lord's servant with you and have a Solomon my son mount on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. 
Benaniah, son of Jehodiah, answered the king, Amen, may the Lord God of my lord the king so declare it, as the Lord was with my lord the king, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne of my lord king David. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaniah, son of Jehodiah, Kerasite and Pelasite, this is David's personal guard, went down and had Solomon mount King David's mule and they escorted him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet, all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing pipes and rejoicing greatly. So the ground shook with a sound. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they were finishing their feast. On hearing the sound, the prophet Joabas was the meaning of all this noise. By the way, Enrogel was only a half mile away from Kihon. King David installed Solomon to the king of Israel once for all immediately. And in today's story, the Kihon are mentioned twice. Why? Kihon is a spring. Actually means a gusher. This is the water source of Jerusalem. This is where people congregate. So while Adonijah kind of trying, you know, he is a kind of a creating his coronation very secretive, you know, kind of way, Solomon being coronated publicly in open area with all people. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, when you do the right thing, you don't have to hide. You can do it publicly. And then you need to know one thing. Solomon's coronation is a more than royal installation. It also came with his own salvation. Has Solomon not been installed as a king, what do you think would happen to him later? He probably eliminated by Adonijah or Joab. Solomon, coronation means salvation. Do you get that? It was God's grace that saved Solomon and made him sovereign king of Israel. And I want us to remember, Solomon did not achieve his kingship on his own strength or wisdom, but by God's saving grace. So are we. So am I and you are. I became a saved and adopted as a child of God by God's saving grace. Amen? Now, let me see quickly the conclusion of today's story. New character named Jonathan came and he explained what happened. It was Solomon that became a king and uh, your father anointed, you know, made it official. Verse 49, look at the verse 49. At this, all Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. It's like a cockroach, you know, at nighttime you turn on the light and they're all spreading. But Adonijah in the fear of Solomon went and took a hold of horns in the altar. You know, this is a very universal ancient uh, practice that when you want to protect yourself against the vengeance or justice, you go to your temple and then grab on the, uh, you, know, you know, one of the table's altar and then somehow they should spare your life. That's what he's doing. And Solomon now heard about that so he brought him, and verse 52, 53, the last verse. The king Solomon sent men, and they brought him down from the altar, and Adonijah came and bowed down 
to the king Solomon, and Solomon said, what did he say? Go to your home. <laughs> go to your home. Today's story started, Adonijah want to go to the throne. He started toward the throne. Now at the end, he's going home. Back to the home. What are 24 hours? You know, this episode is the uh, example, is the illustration of a biblical truth that whoever exalts yourself, you will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself, God exalts you. Don't ever exalt yourself. Let God exalt you. You serve God with the faith and humility. In due time, God will exalt you. And this ending is the uh, foreshadow of God's coming judgment because when God comes, he will put everything in place. Just like a Solomon, you know, put everything in, you know, everybody in their places. And I want us to remember three things. This is a three concluding reminders. Number one, man's scheme never stops God's plan. Man's scheme never stops God's plan. You know, God's sovereign purpose and promise marches on regardless of human resistance or rebellion. You know, God's will, good will for his people, will prevail at the end. And this is a very important to the people of Israel at this moment when they, read the, when they wrote the first king. Because guess where the first king was written? You know, entire history of Israel, especially from Joshua to all the way to the second king, these are the stories written while Israelites were exiled in Babylon. In Jewish people, they put this uh, their history book, not a historical section or writing section, but in so-called a prophetic section. So Jewish people have uh, two sections of prophet, former prophet and, uh, you know, just regular prophet. Former prophet is actually a history book because to Jewish people, history is a prophetic lesson. It's not just what happened, but why hap what, what happened, why happened. So Jewish people in, in Babylonian exile, they're wondering, what, ha what happened to us? Why is, will, will God really keep us, you know, will return, help us to return to homeland as he promised 70 years later? And this story will encourage them. God's plan always prevails no matter how much you doubt it or how many other people try to obstruct it. So man's scheme does not stop God's plan. That's number one reminder. Second reminder, Solomon's coronation points out the ultimate enthronement of Christ. You know, Matthew 12, 43, Jesus said this, Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemns it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and there's now someone greater than Solomon is here. And Jesus pointing himself. Jesus is the true Solomon, perfect Solomon, the king of peace, a ruler of wisdom. Like a Solomon, Jesus also rode a mule and went to the Jerusalem. All people received. But unlike a Solomon, Jesus, his throne was a cross. His crown was made of stones. And he beat the sin and death 
and rose again for you and me. Hallelujah. Today's story pointed out to Jesus at the end. This will bring a third final reminder and a question. Who is your king? Who is your king? Who do you follow? Whose side are you? Are you Adonijah's or your Solomon's? Are you with the fake king or the true king? I don't know who is your Adonijah. I hope it's not a Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I said it here. Yeah, you know what I feel about Donald Trump. You know, I said it. It's a very theologically and politically important for our nation and the church. Side point. Whose side are you? Are you with God or whoever your, your own ambition? Uh, I want to end today's story with a quote uh, uh, from this uh, Roman Catholic American mystic and writer named uh, Thomas Merton. In his autobiography, Seven Story uh, Mountain, Thomas Merton is a gifted writer. And, uh, you know, he was a professor, a teacher at a small Roman Catholic liberal school. And this is where, when he was uh, 23, he gave up all and decided to really follow God as uh, just a monk. And this is what he said. People may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find only they reached the top that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. I hope the end of our life, end of our year, end of our summer, you and I said I was in the right side. Let's pray.